storied franchise. And the New York Islanders have won their fourth straight Stanley Cup. All-time NHL greats. And he caught that over the line. Goes to the left side, shoots and scores! He is all alone as the leading NHL goal-scoring defenseman. Tonelli to Nystrom, he scores! This is Talkin' Isles with Greg Picker and Corey Wright. We welcome you into another edition of Talkin' Isles, the New York Islanders' official interview-based podcast. I'm Greg Picker, the Islanders' radio color commentator, joined alongside by senior writer for NewYorkIslanders.com, Corey Wright. And this week, Corey, we brought on the gremlin to Talkin' Isles. That's right. We had Michael Grabner, the speedy winger who played for the Islanders at the start of the 2010s. Uh, of course, known for his speed and being a pretty colorful character as well. The uh, Austrian-born winger, uh, a lot of tattoos, a lot of really fun stories of those you know early 2010s teams. Got to talk to him about his time in Vancouver and elsewhere, growing up in Austria. So a lot of fun to connect with a guy that we hadn't had the chance to talk to in a little while in Michael Grabner. So here we go with Michael Grabner. Grabner still with control. From the right circle, now in the slot, he shoots, he scores! Michael Grabner wins it for the Islanders in overtime. The road-winning streak continues. It hits six games, and Michael Grabner is mobbed in a sea of white jerseys in front of the Colorado bench. The Islanders come from behind again to take the two points. We now welcome in Michael Grabner to the Talking Isles podcast. Grabs played 640 games in the National Hockey League, 297 of those with the New York Islanders, a native of Austria. And Grabs will get started with, how did you get into the sport? Being in Austria, yes, there is hockey there, but maybe it's not quite as popular as some of the other European countries. So just take us back to the beginning. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's a long time ago now. But, um, yeah, my mom signed me up, I think, on my fifth birthday. I think it was actually my first skate, so... I had a few buddies that were playing at the time, and we lived, like, right across the rink. So I think a lot of people know, some people might know the story, but, like, I could walk to the rink um, from home. And, uh, yeah, once I started playing and kind of get used to skating and stuff, it was fun, and I just never really looked back, and that's all I really wanted to do when I kind of got good at it. In the beginning, my dad told me I wanted to quit the first, like, two, three weeks because I had to, like, learn to skate. And all my buddies were playing with over there with the pucks, and I saw them, and I was like, I don't want to play because I couldn't join them. But once I got over that part, and my dad told me I had to finish the first year because he paid the tuition or whatever. So, and then after that, I'd never really, like I said, looked back. And then, yeah, and then I just played uh, in my hometown till I was 15, 16. And then we had a Canadian coach in the men's team there who helped me kind of get over here, he, him and another guy. Canadian that knew a few people in like the WHL area obviously so they knew the the GM of the Spokane Chiefs so they kind of helped me get over to the to the U.S. side here. You're talking about playing with some of your buddies growing up I read that you grew up on the same street as Michael Roffel and some people were is that first off is that true? Yeah well not same street probably like Pretty much in the U.S. terms, pretty much same street. Like, I could walk to his house probably in, like, three minutes, I would say. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that he and I made it here, and he's been playing for a long time, obviously. And his brother should have made it, too. He just had some bad luck. He signed with Winnipeg, and he went in the AHL, and, and then he had some some injuries uh, during, during his uh, 
minor league stints. Like every time he was supposed to get called up, like he hurt his back in his game before he got supposed to get called up. Then he got like a puck in the face or something in practice. Like so, he was he was a solid player too. So it would have been crazy to see all three of us in the NHL like from such a small, even small town. Like our small our town is pretty small for Austria. I think we had like seventy thousand people at the time. So yeah, it's crazy to think that we both ended up in the NHL. Well, because you hear about guys, I think uh, Zdeno Chara, Marion Gabrick, and Marion Hosa all moved to the same street, but you don't think of those guys coming up together, living on the same street. So just fascinating that, you know, you and the Raffle brothers all were kind of playing there. I would assume your junior team was pretty good then. I know you made your pro debut at 16, but, you know, how was your guys' minor league team growing up? Um, we were pretty good. Yeah, so Raffle is an 88, I'm an 87, and his brother is an 86. So, like, it's kind of like similar... Like, my son's playing only birth years right now, right? So he's only playing with the 2011s. But back in Austria, it was always two. So it would be like 87 and 88. And then we would move up and play with the 86s the following year. So every other year, I played with a different raffle. Like, the older, the younger, the older, the younger. So that was kind of fun. Like I said, I grew up with them. I stayed at his house. And, like, we knew each other. Their dad was our under 16 or under 15 coach I don't know so he played a long time too her, their dad in our hometown and he played in the national team and stuff so it's kind of like a small the hockey world is really small if you haven't noticed yet so um, you just meet the same people over and like I have good stories that there's people that I used to watch when I was like 10 11 and I ended up playing with them in the HL I don't know 10 years later and stuff so yeah it's just like some fun stories and like I said our town has been very small and it's crazy to think that a couple of guys came out of nowhere to make it in NHL and played a, a long time there. I read you also got to participate in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, which is essentially the best tournament in the world for players about 12, 13 years old. What was that like going to be able to participate in that tournament with your team from Austria? Uh, that was a lot of fun. I have a couple of memories. They're not really from the games, to be honest. But we, we moved over here. It's like, this is pretty much probably unheard of these days that, I don't know, like a coach and equipment guy and maybe one parent fly like across, I don't know, 2,000 miles with 20 kids, you know? It's like, we just like left. Like my parents didn't come, nothing. And we had a billet family over there. And then, yeah, like we used to go skating at night after dinner in a local in a local rink and stuff outside. So that like those are the stuff that I remember. The games itself, I think the only thing I remember is we went, we lost in the semifinals because I lost my skates. <laughs> I lost my skates the day before the semifinals or on the day actually because I brought them back to my billets to go skate at night. And then we went to the rink. We watched the game before us and we were all watching and I put my skates under my seat. But then I don't know if you guys know those pin trading stuff that be, the kids do at those tournaments like you trade pins for like NHL logos on and stuff like again I remember that so there was like a huge around the concourse people lined up with pins so I'm like hey I'm gonna run over there quick see what's going on by the time I came back my whole team went to the dressing room and I just ran down I figured they grabbed my skates I came down there and they're like no we don't have your skates I run up they're gone so I'm like oh great so like what do i do so they gave me i brought a skate size six or something at the time i got like a skate size nine nike those the gretzky ones i remember could barely skate and then we lost in the semifinals. so that's pretty much the memory i have from the quebec pv tournament 
Well, you go from Austria to playing in Spokane. And just taking a quick look at a map, I think it would take you about four hours to drive from Vienna to Salzburg. And it'll probably take you about 24 hours to drive from Spokane to Brandon. So what was the adjustment like, not only playing North American hockey, but going from a place where I'm sure a lot of your other teams are really close in Austria to now all of a sudden you're on those, you know, marathon bus rides across Western Canada. Yeah, it was different, obviously. Not just the bus rides, but just like the culture, right? Like you get to know everything. But again, I enjoyed my time in Quebec and I didn't really get homesick. So I figured I would be okay, like just living wise. But then, yeah, the adjustment was probably like the games, right? Like in major junior, you play, I think, 72 games we played. That's that's a lot of games compared to the Austrian League or whatever. We played over there at that age. So, like the bus rides, the travel, the, the hockey, the amount of games you play and all that kind of was a big change in the beginning. But obviously, it kind of helps you set up for minor league or NHL if you make it there, right? Because... That's a big part is like traveling and like getting in late nights and stuff. So, yeah, Spokane was a good time. Like I said, I remember those days. I still talk to people I met back then, my billets and other people that I met through there. And we usually go up there every summer for at least a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it was a great spot for myself. Obviously, the billet family I got was great. They helped me get adjusted and uh, my roommate that I had there. Adam Hobson, yeah, like I lived with the same guy for three years. So it was just a, a good spot for me, helped me develop my into like the North American style of hockey a little bit and stuff. So, yeah, it, it like I said, I've gotten lucky with all the places I played at from juniors all the way to the NHL. So I can't complain, really. Now, we know what set you apart in your NHL career was your speed. At what age would you say it was really noticeable that you were – Almost always, if not always, the fastest guy on the ice. And here's Michael Grabner with speed down the left wing side. Into the net, he back ends, he scores! Michael Grabner has scored for the third straight game, and the Islanders are on the board. It's a 2-1 contest. Oh, the speed of Grabner does it again. I don't really know because people always ask me, and I've never had a skating coach. I never really focused on like specific like speed stuff. I think like a lot of times like you have like a genetics that will maybe help you get there, right? But then I contribute most of the stuff just like I did track and field in school where we like raced and every time I raced in anything, it didn't matter if I was running or on the ice, I wanted to be first. So then I also got to play practice a lot of times with older kids because kids in Austria would be missing hockey practice for school for, I don't know, the randomest stuff, right? So, so they always were missing kids and I would just, be a rink rat and sit at the rink and ask coaches if I can go on with them. And they're like, a lot of times we're like, sure. So I would go on sometimes with the younger kids, my group and the older kids, and sometimes two older. So, but when you're playing against kids that are two years older, you're not going to win races, right? But in my head, I always wanted to be first and keep up with them. So I probably kind of subconsciously trained my fast twitch muscles without even thinking about it. That's my that's my theory because I said I never had a skating coach. I never had anything done specifically for speed. So, yeah, that's my theory. I don't know if that's what it was or not, but I'm going to go with that one. Well, take us through, you know, you get drafted by the Canucks in 2006, a first-round pick, the second Austrian player to be taken in the first round after another former Islander and Thomas Vanek and a former teammate of yours. And just, you know, how big of a deal was that, not just for you, but, you know, did you get a sense of, 
how big that was in Austria at the time? Because I believe you two would have been some of the first real big prospects to make it to the NHL in that sense. Yeah, we had some guys that made it for a few games here and there, but like draft wise, yeah, it's, um, it was a big deal. But I don't know if like people in Austria in general like know that much about it, right? Like obviously hockey fans knew, and like the people that I know back home in my hometown and stuff. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Vancouver, it was a good spot to get drafted by. Obviously, the draft was in Vancouver at the time, and and the interviews we had. So. That's just another good experience looking back how all that unfolded. Yeah, um, like I said, I, I remember walking into a meeting. I don't, I don't know what team it was. I think it might have been St. Louis. There was like a guy sitting in a scout that I watched like, I don't know, 10 years earlier, 12 years earlier, playing my hometown. <laughs> it's, it's just like cool stories like that. And then again, obviously being drafted in the first round, just being drafted in general. It's like a dream, right? It's your next step of kind of trying to get to the NHL from for myself. So, yeah, I was happy. Obviously, I just got drafted that early, but I saw very quick that I had a lot of work to do when I hit my first training camp in maybe Vancouver. So, yeah, it's looking back again. Like I said, it was a, a great memories that are always carry with me. I ended up spending a few years playing in Winnipeg with the Manitoba Moose, then the AHL team for the Vancouver Canucks. You had a teammate there in Corey Schneider, who has spent a couple of years now in the Islanders organization, seems to be the type of guy that every single teammate absolutely loves and would do anything for. You made a run to the Calder Cup final one year with Corey and the Moose. Can you just share, you know, being a teammate of his and also the success that you had at the AHL level? Yeah, obviously he was a big part of that. He was uh, a really good prospect coming in. I didn't got to know him there. He's a really smart guy, right? Like he has a really good knowledge overall. Um, and like you said, he was a very like teammate. So it was fun to play in front of him. Those couple of years in Winnipeg was actually a lot of fun hockey wise. Um, like you said, we went to the finals the one year, just couldn't close it out against Hershey. But that was a fun year and I got to meet a lot of good players and like also like some mentors obviously Mike Keane was our captain back then he was already ancient if he's listening to this <laughs> um, but it was just fun like again like to learn from these guys he was like I don't know 40 41 years old like blocking shots with his face you know like just like stuff that I, you got to see over that time and again the run was fun I think we were first overall in like during the regular season and made it all the way to the finals and just to see the buzz around Winnipeg, it was it was a it was a great experience and a lot of fun to kind of learn and um, help me probably get to where I ended up going. Well, I'm from Vancouver. I grew up in that era, and I have not heard an Iron Mike Keane reference in a long time. And if Mike Keane listens to this podcast, then we're doing something right. But Grabs, take us through. You know, eventually your path to the Islanders. It goes through a brief stint in Florida, but. You know, when you're kind of approaching the Islanders, when they're approaching you, you know, what was that whole process like? And, you know, just kind of take us through how you wound up on the island. Yeah, I thought I had a good year or like half a year before I broke my foot with Vancouver. And then Vancouver was so stacked at the time, right? We had the Sedins, the Mitra, like they had a stacked team and like they weren't going to make a run. So I kind of was like the odd man out at the time and got traded to Florida, which I didn't really have a great camp down there. I don't know. So whatever happened on there, I don't know. And they kind of, they were going to send me down. And then I ended up on waivers. I didn't know I had waivers at the time, neither did my agent because I called them and told them I got sent down. So kind of was on the way to Rochester. I think the farm team was, I don't know if it still is, but 
yeah, I was going to Rochester and I land in Rochester and I had like 19 missed calls, like seven voicemails. My agent telling me like, hey, don't go practice. You're on waivers for 48 hours because it was a weekend. So I'm like, all right, just hanging out in the hotel room. And then, yeah, and then I ended up getting a call that Oki, I think, got hurt, like his shoulder back then, and they needed that forward. So, and then my agent called me, and he, I think he knew Garth a little bit back then, told me I got picked up. So, and I was rerouted to the Islanders, kind of got my first foot in the door there, kind of knowing, learning to get to know the guys. Um, they were, we were a really young team, obviously, right back then. And um, that definitely helped me kind of get my foot in the door in the NHL because we had a little bit more leash, a little bit more freedom to kind of make mistakes, right? If you would probably get drafted in Pittsburgh at the time, it would be a lot harder to get in the door. So, yeah, it just kind of, like I said, like I ended up at spots that just worked for myself, right? Like I said, like the Islanders, it was really my first team in the NHL. Like I played a few games in Vancouver, but that was more of a, a cup of coffee where an Islanders I really kind of said, yeah, kind of made my debut, right, and kind of established myself. So I'm always going to be grateful for them giving me the chance and, uh, and the time I spent there. You did more than just establish yourself. This was in the 2010-11 season, 76 games played, 34 goals. Grabner trying for a breakaway, and he's got one. Michael Grabner has another. His team leading 34th of the season. The Islanders are on the board, and it's a 2-1 to game. You're on the all-rookie team and a Calder Trophy finalist for Rookie of the Year. You had quite the connection, shorthanded too, especially with Franzi. You had six shorthanded goals. He had seven. Can you just share the tandem, you know, that you and Franzi were together and just the success that you had individually your rookie season? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, the pucks were going in. I was getting a lot of chances. Guys didn't really know what to expect on opposing teams back then. But yeah, like we think it was Francie, you know, Oki and I. I think we had a great chemistry as a line. And then it kind of carried over for Francie and I into the, into the belly killing. Uh, I think it makes it a lot easier if kind of guys have like a second connection and know what each other is going to do, right? So... I knew he was really smart with the puck and like holding on to it. And I was just trying to get open when I got a chance. So it kind of just, yeah, clicked. And like you said, it's just worked. And uh, I think it was pretty hard for power plays to kind of know what's going to come at them. So I kind of got a little similar connection when I moved over here with Brad Richardson. So like I said, it's easy when you find someone that you kind of read off each other. And it was definitely... Like I said, France is just a smart player, though. Like, he made it a lot easier on me where I just didn't really have to think and just use my speed and get open. And I knew he's going to put the puck in his area or, or, or hit me, right? Just going down that board. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun playing with him. I sent him a text the other day because I think he just retired from his national team. I saw his interview. So, yeah, it's just then it's kind of same thing as Corey Schneider, right? Like a guy that everyone likes, kind of a little bit quieter, but everyone wants to have on the team and just a smart player overall. I mean, apart from the fact that you had a great season that year, Greg listed out all the stats and one of the games that season, you know, was fight night. And I was looking back through the box uh, score just to see what your contribution to that game was. And you scored a pair of goals at night. I think you were one of only a few players to not have taken a penalty in that game. So, you know, people forget, I think that was a nine, three Islander win and, Obviously, that was a pretty important win as well. So what do you remember about Fight Night? Oh, Fight Night, yeah. Everyone asked that. Uh, yeah, we kind of started the game in Pittsburgh, I think, a week earlier, right, with all this stuff that happened. And then 
like you said, we came out swinging at that in that game and grew up like 5 1, and then this stuff kind of just got off derailed a little bit. And like, and yeah, it was fun to be part of. Like I said, I was never really a big fighter, I felt like I was always strong, but I don't know technique and stuff. I feel like there was a lot of guys that could fight back in the day, and you didn't just didn't know who you're gonna get, right? So, and I was just trying to score more goals. I don't know. I, that was my what I enjoyed doing. So I enjoyed watching the other guys get in some fights. And um, yeah, like I think I don't know how many guys were left. Maybe seven, eight on each side. I think it was it was fun. We go, we went on the bench to change, and there's like two guys sitting there. <laughs> it was yeah. It was definitely one of the crazier games and um, the games that people still talk about to this day. Right? It was a long time ago, but almost every. Islander discussion or Islander podcast or whatever, this game comes up. So it definitely sticks in people's mind, and I'm probably it's probably going to be around for a long time. Well, a couple of years later, 2013, lockout shortened season, only a 48 game slate, but team qualifies for the playoffs. First time in six years the Islanders were in the postseason. You had been a part of that climb. Penguins turn it over a coin to Grabner, shoots and scores! Michael Grabner's made it 3-2 Islanders with 17.39 to go in the third. You know, missed the playoffs a couple of years before that year. Take us back to the Coliseum. Bedlam, game three going in. You could, I'm sure, hear the crowd before even stepping on the ice. Yeah, and again, that's the same thing, too. It comes up every time. I think for me personally, I don't know, it was probably one of the loudest, if not the loudest, I've ever play that in front of fans i remember could barely talk on the bench in like the anthem or during the anthem and uh i remember i tried to hit malkin i didn't even move him really he's a big guy but like just like grazing him and like but the fans were nuts like just like by an attempt to hit him and i think i pretty much almost fell over trying to hit him but yeah it's just like a lot of adrenaline that was one of the most fun games i've played there the game three and four and um, I think we gave them all they could handle. I think, obviously, if they kept the other goalie in, it would have been been in our favor. But, yeah, they were just a good team, obviously, back then. And uh, But I think the fans enjoyed it. We as a team, we had a blast. And, um, yeah, the, the, those games, like I said, those and same as fight night, um, it's just memories that you always carry with you. Well, one thing we were curious about here is the origin of the nickname Gremlin. Is that something you'd be able to share with us? I don't even know where that came from. I can't really tell you. That was like early on, like in my first year. I don't know, someone came up with that fan, I think. And then, yeah, I just kind of ran with it. And like, yeah, uh, I don't, but if I could, if I had to pinpoint it, I would have no idea exactly where that came from. So the person. I think maybe who... Andrew McDonald had something to do with it too. I don't know. I don't really remember. Some of this stuff is kind of vague. It's been a while. Like, I met so many people, been on so many teams. So. Some of the details are kind of like I can remember, but I think McDonald had something to do with it too, like from what I vague memory. Yeah, we uh, Andrew McDonald was the name that came up with potentially uh, giving that one. So I guess you guys lived together, which I did not uh, realize. No, time. I didn't well, live like so. We all kind of lived in the same com- apartment complex. Like that was like, I don't know how many of us, like Tavares, Molson. McDonald, Bailey, maybe Martin. I think in the in the Avalon complex back then, and then we all moved over to like the townhouses a couple of years later. So it was always like people living close. So 
but again, yeah, I think someone said it on Twitter or something, and then McDonald took it over. I, I don't know exactly, like I said, what happened anymore. It was, it was just a fun time. The fans enjoyed it again. And then it was just something on the side that's going on that was kind of like a cool memory. One thing I remember about Andrew McDonald and Greg, I don't know if you you might remember this too. I mean, didn't he have like a green drink that he would drink before every game? I think uh, Kimber or somebody said that it was just like one of the most awful awful drinks he'd come across, but Amac swore by it. Amac had a lot of things with his drinks and food. I remember like, I remember him switching like from gluten-free to lactose-free to all, I don't know what, he always was looking into like the next, like what he can do to drink or eat or feel better or whatever it is. He was one of those guys that that's where at least that I remember. Um, he just like read books on stuff and then always tried to experiment. So I'm, wouldn't be shocked if he had some kind of kale, whatever, whatever ginger, I don't know, what mixed drink that he would drink because he was always into kind of the food, food side of things to kind of, like I said, try to find an advantage of what to cut out or what to add. So wouldn't surprise me. Something that probably tasted and smelled awful, but whatever type of edge you could get, I guess. Exactly. In, uh, in 2014, though, the Islanders had – acquired a fellow countryman of yours in Thomas Vanek. I guess that would have been towards the end of 2013, but in that 13-14 season. And you were both able to go represent your country on the biggest stage in the 2014 Olympics. What was that like, putting on your Team Austria jersey in that type of moment? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, I didn't get to play too many world championships, like the, the high-end one, like because you know, Austria, we always ended up playing up lose go back down and we had to win down there to go back up so i ended up playing a lot of times in the b pool just that's the way that it played out because a lot of times those tournaments are right at playoff time so whenever we were up i was in playoffs and i ended up not being able to go and when i could go it was the b pool so like at olympics was a lot of fun like you said like one of the biggest stages right and playing with with vanek who i didn't know at the time was fun to get him to our team get to know him and then going over there so yeah, obviously, there's a lot of stories back then about Sochi and all this stuff. I had a great time there. I, like I said, like, I don't really have high expectations for anything. I just go play. Like I said, it's, it was fun to represent your country, play in the Olympics, and, and just, yeah, being part of the whole process. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time, scored some goals. But, yeah, overall, it's just uh, some memories that you always have. And, uh, and looking back, it was, yeah, a great time there. So, uh, you know, off the ice, you know, what do you remember about your time on Long Island? Uh, were you? I know Franz stayed here a little bit in the summer to kind of get that sense of it, the golf, the beaches, et cetera. But, I mean, did you stay here much uh, in the off seasons? And just what do you remember off the ice about Long Island? Um, Yeah, I love the food there. I remember a lot of good places to go eat. Golf, like you said, golf. Um, I usually, I think I came a little bit early before training camps just to like golf, hang out with some people that we knew. It was just a good area. There's a lot of people around that we kind of met and hung out with. So, yeah, it's, I think it's a great place to play. And obviously, went out to the Hamptons a few times. There's some good golf courses out there. So just the area, it's you're close to the city, right? Like, just a good spot to live. Like, I, we enjoyed our time there a ton. Um, we had our first two kids born there. So it's, yeah, it's just a, a place that will always have a, a big spot in my heart. Now, one of the interesting sponsorships that the Islanders had in years past, <laughs> you were able to take advantage of. You know where we're going with this. 
and that is the Tattoo Lose connection. And I believe it was documented when you got a tattoo through Tattoo Lose. And I think you were known for being a, a tattoo aficionado. So uh, what did some of those mean to you and, and getting to get one in, I guess, a, a unique fashion? Yeah, it was cool. Obviously, some people outside of the organization or other, they were kind of looking at it like weird, but I thought it was great. Like I said, I met a couple of good artists, cool people there um, that I went back after. Like I got one that was kind of documented, but I went to the guy that I met there who did my other tattoos. I don't know how many I got with him, but I would go and sit there like seven, eight hours and sometimes on days off and stuff. So and got some during the year. So it was a cool connection to have. Like you said, I enjoyed having tattoos. Most of them are about my kids and stuff. But other than that, it was, yeah, it was just a cool connection to have. Like I said, I met some good artists and good people there. And I still talk to some once in a while. Um, I think there's still, I don't know, a couple of them might have went off on their own now and started their own studios and stuff. So, yeah, it was cool. Definitely something different that you don't see every day. So it was a nice little perk to have. Well, I still have a Tattoo Loose uh, Islanders shirt, and it is a prized possession. Uh, it couldn't have been that bad of an idea, though, because I think the team has got a new tattoo partnership. So the Islanders definitely a little ahead of the curve there. Uh, if you want to talk about obscure connections, though, I was going through the Islander YouTube page, and there was a time where I believe you met Cake Boss going along with former Islander PR guy David Hockman. So if Dave's listening, shout out to Dave Hockman. But uh, what do you remember about meeting Cake Boss? Because even if that show is not big anymore, I feel like for a time that show was huge on TLC. Yeah, I think it was really big at the time we met him. I think we just kind of, Kimber and David, yeah, helped us kind of set up. We were going to make a, a, wanted a unique cake for uh, my son's first birthday. So they ended up agreeing to it. And then we went down and uh, met met them. We saw like their their shop. And then, like, obviously behind the scenes a little bit. So that was definitely a cool experience to just, like you said, back then it was a huge show. It was everywhere. They had their, their little shop there that people lined up for cupcakes and whatever. So we got to see all that kind of stuff behind the scenes, which was really cool. My my wife was watching that show a lot back then. And, um, yeah, it's just that memory. She still has pictures of the cake with, from his first birthday. So that's just something hopefully that he can look at when he gets older and uh, enjoy that he got got to get this kind of cakes and and get to do these kind of things obviously he doesn't remember it but it's still like cool memory to have although you spent more time with the islanders than any of the other teams you played for in the nhl you did get to do the tri-state tour you played for the islanders the rangers and the devils you got to see all different angles of that three team rivalries. So what was it like getting to, I guess, tour around the area a bit and representing a few teams in this region? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The tri-state was, was, like I said, good to me. It was a long time I spent there from Islanders to Rangers to Jersey, Jersey, obviously the shortest stint, but um, yeah, I just wish I could have scored a hat trick with Jersey. Then I would have had one with each team. That's probably my only regret that I didn't get a hat trick with Jersey. But no, it was good. Good to see the different organizations, um, the rivalries from each side, right? So I'm just happy that fans still kind of accept me from each each team. Um, again, you don't really plan where you're gonna go or where you end up or where you traded to, right? You kind of just trying to see what the best fit is. Like I said, I signed with the Rangers. 
they had Alain Mignot, who I liked as a coach in Vancouver, or had good memories, and their assistant coach was Scott O'Neill, who was my head coach in Winnipeg. So I had talked to them before free agency and Scott O'Neill a little bit. So again, and you just want to go somewhere where people kind of know your style, right? And you feel like they're going to put you in a position where you can succeed. So, and obviously it worked out with the Rangers, and uh, I kind of got my scoring touch back. And uh, yeah, it was just good to see all the different teams though and like you said i one of the few players to got to play for all three of them well a couple more just uh islander games i was wondering if you could uh we could ask you about the one that always stuck out to me and i really regretted of the very few games i was not able to be at was that seven goal third period comeback in vancouver back and i want to say the 2014 season i think think you were a part of that game does that one stand out and just have you ever been a part of a game where a team comes back and scores seven in the third period like that yeah i don't know if you often it happens you score seven goals in a period i'm trying to think if i how often that happened and you see like huge comebacks i think in hockey is so close that that doesn't really happen that often um trying to think back at this game i kind of vaguely remember that i don't know if i played in it or not you said it was in 14 yeah, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. I because I remember. I just don't know if I was playing because like I had a couple like groin surgeries in while I was here in Islanders. Like my groins kind of from skating got messed up. So, but I do remember that comeback because like, but I don't know if I don't think I was in the lineup to be honest. I don't. You did play uh, almost twelve minutes in that one. Did so, I? Um, yeah. Right, so March 10, twenty fourteen. <laughs> I must have not done a whole lot. So, <laughs> no. But again, I don't know. Just doesn't really stick out to me. Like people always ask me, like, what's your mem- most memory? There's so many games that, like you said, like a seven goal comeback. Like, how do you not remember that as closely, right? Like, there's just like there's so many games that over the time in with the Islanders that like the, the fight game, the playoffs, like all these games that like stick out a lot more than a seven goal comeback. Right. So this is just how many memories you have from that time there. I feel like there was a lot of games that are, were more memorable from like a different kind of standpoints. Right. So, um, again, I'd like to your point, I don't think that happens too often. Seven goals in a period. Like, um, it happened maybe last couple of years with McDavid and Drysaddle. They seem to score like six goals a period. But other than that, I don't really see that happening too often. Well, one thing I can definitely say you were at was the 2011 Super Skills at the All-Star Game in the fastest skater competition. And I went back and watched a clip from that the other day. And what really stuck out to me is I forgot that they used to have two guys racing at the same time. So I think you were going up against Taylor Hall in the clip that I watched. But it just seems so strange now to have the two guys going when it just, I think now they're just down to one guy doing a lap by himself. So what do you remember about being in that fastest skater competition? Yeah, that was another great weekend, obviously, just to soak everything in, be around like the top players at the time. And just, yeah, just being on the ice, like the whole, the whole kind of weekend, right? Like watching the game and being part of the, the skills competition and watching all that. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, I figured they're gonna put me in that in that skill and racing with Halsey. I remember talking to him after for a little bit after the after the race in the in the locker room and stuff. So it was my first kind of encounter with him, and then I ended up playing with him later on. So it's just like funny how when you look at all these things, how they unfolded, and then who you got to play with down the road, who you who you met and stuff, right? So it's it's yeah, it was a great experience. I think a lot of fun 
for when you go there first time, especially as a rookie. And like I said, I kind of just try to soak it all in and uh, see how these these top guys represent themselves, like what they do and stuff, right? So, and obviously you got to see a little bit of lighter side. It wasn't as serious as during the season, so that was that was good to see. So, Grabs, can you just share with the fans what you're up to now and where you're living these days? Uh, we're still in Arizona right now. I didn't do much the last couple of years. I helped coach my son's team, and I'm taking that over the Avenue uh, head coach job uh, for my for my son's team. And yeah, we're gonna be traveling a lot. I gotta figure out our our schedule, like what tournaments we're gonna go to, our showcases, and and all these things. So it was fun to kind of get into a different side of hockey at the kind of teaching and um, yeah, trying to like plan practices. I try to dig through my memories. That's why I don't remember games because I'm just trying to remember drills that I did when I was younger or with NHL teams. What what which ones can I use for like the kids now? Because obviously their comprehensive skills are not as developed as some some are further along and stuff so yeah just building practices and kind of setting stuff up for the season line combinations how you want to coach and stuff so it's kind of cool to see and uh, i got to learn a lot from the coach that they had the last few years um they had the same coach who is a director at their organization here so it was nice to learn from him and pick his brain a little bit so other than that, we're just uh, enjoying the heat down here and um, doing stuff what the kids have to do. It's, uh, it's pretty busy. It's almost more stressful than during the season. So, Grabs, we really thank you for coming on the podcast with us. We know fans really wanted to hear from you and take a look back at your time on the island and then some. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to kind of go back in time a little bit here. Well, thank you again for joining us on another edition of Talk at Isles. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might listen. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Greg Picker here. And I am at Rightsway. You can follow all the latest info about the team on Twitter at NY Islanders and stay up to date on UBS Arena at ubsarena.com. A big thank you to our producer, Rachel Lusher, and to WRAQ at Hofstra University. And we'll see you next time on Talking Isles.